Hello and welcome to Two Nerds Sitting on a Couch, in which two nerds sit on a couch and discuss science fiction and fantasy. So we're here today to discuss the first season of the Stars series um, counterpart, which uh, stars J.K. Simmons as himself and then also as himself yeah he does a really good job of yeah. playing himself he's pretty... he is the best person to play himself since john malkovich in being john malkovich <laughs> well actually i mean he's not playing jk simmons but no he's not he is but he's playing just a awesome. double role. he's this this role made me really appreciate what a fantastic actor he is before we get too far down that road um we should probably say that so this is set in Berlin, um, and you know the the conceit of the story is that thirty years previous in nineteen eighty seven in nineteen eighty seven two years after Back to the Future was filmed <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything by the way in nineteen eighty seven East German scientists did some sort of you know timey wimey fuckery they're always doing that and they um. They basically it's like parallel split... university worsey fuckery. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, they split off. There are two versions. It's like the the universe doubled itself. And and, and it's like connected. in another Earth, like the broken mirror theory was that the point the point of awareness between the realities is what caused the divergence in the realities. So right. things started um, behaving differently then. So not everybody was suddenly a different person. No, but events started snowballing separate ways. Butterfly at that time, yes. right? Yes, and and by the time you hit 1996, and there is a global pandemic, which hashtag relatable. There's a global <laughs> pandemic, but it killed seven percent of the population. Which is, you know, I mean, I think we we all now understand how horrific. Even I mean, we've lost half a million people in this country, which isn't even a percentage. And it has been devastating, and uh, and there won't be a return to normalcy for a long time. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and I did feel like in those scenes that I was more comfortable in their world because oh they were all God. wearing masks and yes. social distancing. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, but seven percent would be the freaking apocalypse. You know, like like a you know I had a, a sort of adolescent interest in the Black Plague and how devastating that was, and. Um, that was 30 to 50%, and I can't even wrap my mind around that. And, I mean, another, like, fun factoid? Are we calling this a fun? It's a pandemic there's nothing, fun. There's nothing fun. But anyway, just a factoid about the, like, so 1347, first outbreak happens. Um, Europe does not reach its pre-plague levels until the mid-18th century. It took them 500 years to gain back the population that they lost. Like, that's how devastating it was. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And this is, like, such a tangent. But, but... Just, but that's the world. On, just, in, right. in, so there's the two worlds are Alpha, which is what we would consider our world. Mm -hmm. The events that have happened are our like world. They just, like they, and then there's Prime, which is the other world, where there's this pandemic flu. Mm -hmm. um, the Twin Towers were never hit. They never no. invented iPhones. No. They're, like, so clearly Steve there's Jobs a, there's is... A, there's actually, like, a significant technological gap. I mean, 
and the way they talk about it, it's not so much that Steve Jobs is dead. It's that they're fighting for their lives. And right, they don't right. have time. You know, they're, they're so busy, you know, tending to the dead and dying that they don't have the sort of cultural batteries to fuel that kind of innovation. Right. The spycraft in it and the, the, the tight control over... The even the communication between the worlds is is pretty cool. I mean, like the, one of the first scenes is Howard, um, who works in Interface, which is is um, just like getting messages, not even decrypting them, but just accepting messages by going into a like it's it's like a, a prison waiting a visiting room where there's mm -hmm. like glass in between you and the other guy. He has to put on a special suit because presumably they're trying not to give out any clues about fashion. Or anything, because all of the information about the worlds are tightly controlled. In fact, when they want something from each other, they negotiate using things like census data. And, you know, because they want to know the differences between their worlds. Right. Because that gives them some insight into their own world and then kind of what's going on over there. And so, right. you know, they're... they're. Um, and we should probably say that, that even though Howard... And, and this is apparently a UN agency called the OI... People refer to it as the office, um, so it's sort of Jim Halperty. Well, CIA analog, because don't they call that the the firm or something like that? Oh right, yeah. The company, I can't remember. There's some sort of term like that. Anyway, um, not everybody who works for the office understands the nature of their work. Most people don't. So, like like uh, Howard Silk uh, goes Alpha. and. In, yeah, in the alpha world, who is who we follow at first, um, he doesn't know the nature of his work. He, I mean, is, he knows he it's is, spy stuff. He's the, right. He understands it's spy stuff, but he's he's talking to some guy in a box and encoded phrases that in, they both like. They both like agree on which folder they're going to open at the time. Uh -huh. They have several different folders. They open the folder, and there are all these code phrases that then relate to specific things later mm -hmm. somewhere somewhere else when they're decrypted he just takes the code phrase and writes down the associated number or whatever right. and then that gets sent into um some other Wh part whoever of whoever does that yeah um and then they you know decrypt the message pass it on whatever howard goes in for a promotion mm -hmm. and he's like i want a promotion i've been here 30 years i don't even really know what we do and the guy's like sorry man this is peter who's like much younger Peter um, Quayle, Peter Quayle, who, who is played by the same actor who played uh, Viserys Targaryen. No. Yes. No. Yes. That's, that's somebody. That's no. Uh, Peter Quayle played Targaryen. Imagine oh, him. Oh, oh, imagine yeah. him in a blonde wig. Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah, but he's got that sort of like ratty kind of face. Yeah, and anyway, but he's like super young, and like he's one of those like young, rich professional types, and he's and Howard is this like kind of death of a salesman, you yeah. know, shows up and he's like, I need a promotion, and, and I think that there's he's a, like, I'm sorry, you're just not going to get one. Because... There's a lot going on with accents in this because it's set it's set in um, Germany, right? And uh, the actors are American, British, and German for the most part. Yeah, um, but I, I feel... think it's actually filmed. It's, it is too. absolutely filmed in Berlin because. So anyway, Howard doesn't get his job, but then uh, a mysterious young woman named Baldwin shows no, up. No, no, that's no? well. That no, what happens is that yeah, I mean Baldwin shows up and she's trying to kill somebody or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, after he gets shot down by Quail, 
um, the next, and, you know, and then he goes to visit his wife in the hospital. We learned that a couple weeks previous, or even months possibly previous. It was six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks previous, his wife had been hit, clipped by a car, and she's been in a coma this whole time. Anyway, so then the next day, he's called in by Quail, who's Quail's like, okay, we're going to go have a meeting, you, me, and Aldrich, and somebody else, and I need you not to flip the fuck out. And they walk into the room, and there he is. It's him. It's himself. It's his, it's himself. It's another Howard self. And to his credit, he doesn't really flip the fuck out. No, but he does definitely gasp like a fish. Yeah. J.K. Simmons plays both Howard Silks, and he does such such an amazing job at it yeah he's like he is just fucking knocking it out of the park which is pretty great for a guy who's in his 60s and i mean he's had accolades but his career is one of a of a um a character actor yeah right and so to have this sort of like amazing role where you get to play the same person but like do it so that it's identical sisters yeah cousins (laughs) identical cousins. cousins Um, anyway, it's, he does a really great job. Yeah. He's Um, he's a pretty good actor. And that's what sort of starts the, so Howard Silk meeting Howard Silk and understanding the nature of the reality he's living in, um, sort of, you know, sparks this whole thing off. Like the whole story. So what happens is there's this assassin who's been sent over, um, and they're planning on killing Howard's wife, Emily, who is in a hospital in in a coma after a car accident six weeks ago. And so they're trying to protect her, and Howard uh, Prime says that this is a way of getting back at him uh, by killing her in that world, um, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, but whatever, moving well, because on. He, he I says, guess. I mean, so Howard Silk is married to a woman called Emily Alpha. The Alpha world is our world, and the Prime world is the other one. Right. Um, Emily. Uh, He's married to Emily in, in the Alpha world, and the Prime Silk says that his Emily is dead. Right. So this is like the only Emily left, or or whatever, for him, and that's why his, the, you know, he he's got this motivation to protect. Which her or whatever. actually, you know, it's um, kind of funny that like, I mean, they reveal by the end of the episode that his Emily is actually still alive, but it is actually super sus in the moment. Like that doesn't actually make any sense. Yeah, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. But nothing makes any sense at that point because there's another world. That's just right. Weird, yeah, know? I mean, on some so, level, like it's like you're also like wrong footed. Right, but then we have this this um, assassin Baldwin, who everybody thinks is a dude until it turns out it's just a chick with a butch haircut, um, whose her double is a uh, concert violinist in Berlin, mm-hmm. and so she, like, we find out much later in, in the series that they had a, you know, shared childhood, even though this was a- obviously after the, the split, their mm-hmm. childhoods were still the same, so it hadn't diverged enough yet for the one to become an assassin and the other one to become a, a concert violinist, but right. she's here to kill Emily. Um, so she goes in, Howard, Howard protects her, um, she gets shot in the face, so now we have not just the haircut, but a, like a big... Like Joker style gash on the side of her mouth. But it's almost that like, is like it's almost like sliding doors where you have like the one Gwyneth has a band aid on her head. Right. And, and then the other one decides to dye her hair and then it's like, yeah. Oh, thank God, but now then, we can yeah. tell them, because, tell them apart. because we can't necessarily trust that, that actress is up for it. 
frankly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, we could trust that JK is up for it. Because yeah. He's well, and he does such a great job of, like, even when the two Howards are in a room alone, dressed the same way, talking together about whatever, you can tell which one is which immediately. immediately. I mean, it's, it's apparent, and that's just, I mean, you, and you don't even think about it in the moment, but it's it's phenomenal acting. Yeah, I mean, those two really characters is. are so different, but it's, you know, it's the same guy. And he's not even talking to himself there. He's talking that, to some well, and wall that's the thing or that another person. that kind of blows person. my mind is that, like, you know, a, it depends on what kind of actor you are or whatever. But, like, you know, a lot of actors talk about how difficult it is to do, like, green screen acting or, mm-hmm. act, you know, that kind of thing where you're not able to act against anyone. And he's not acting against himself actually yeah you know what i mean right. like there i mean maybe there's somebody there doing his lines so that a lesser like, actor i'm yes. sure <laughs> well but it's not him and so yeah. in like whatever anyway the fact that he's able to do that like is just fucking great yeah i my estimation of him which was already pretty great like pretty high because of like j jonah james jameson or whatever right. like all of the stuff he's done Anyway. But then it turns out that there's actually been a rendition order on Howard Prime. Somebody's trying to kill him in this world. Um, but then he has to go back to his life, and then he works on getting a visa to come back. But then it, it's just easier if he sends Howard Alpha back to his world. Um, and he, he intends to, like, lock him in an empty apartment with... Um, the, he's got this his, his manservant, um, Rosh, who is there to just sort of keep him from fucking things up too much i guess and i think we should probably say that like the howard uh alpha is very much like mr death of a salesman right yeah he's he's, totally meek but he's also compassionate you know i mean he's um he's kind of a a pushover but he's much more forgiving he's a people person in a way that howard prime is not Not a people person at all and and (laughs) yeah and howard prime is this like he's repellent but he's strong, right? I, I mean, like, I wouldn't even say he's repellent so much. Well, I mean, as he, he is... in that he repels people. Like he repelled his Emily, who turns out is still alive. They just she hates him, and is, he's got a daughter. Alpha, there's a there's a prime daughter daughter. Yeah, which they um I, I think Emily Alpha was pregnant and then had a miscarriage. The, yes, on Emily Alpha had um, a miscarriage. So they never had, and they never obviously they never tried again. Um, but there's this there's this daughter in the other world that is. Mm-hmm. You know, who knew? She also hates his guts because he's just not a family man in any way whatsoever. He's not compassionate. He's not... I mean, it turns out that um, Emily had cheated on him way early on and that... Um, and... No, no. That's, is a that's, spy. That's not the problem. Like, the it is understood that the reason that um, the Prime Silk is so mad is because he found out that his wife, Emily, was a spy... Right, and she's that, in housekeeping, and he's in strategy. Strategy, yeah. Um, and housekeeping is like kind of murdering people a little bit. It's clean up. Yeah, it's cleaning up in the sort of also um, kind of internal affairs ish. Um, but strategy um, is really ominous. the more like spies as we understand them. Right. And yeah. then there's diplomacy, which is like ambassadors and such that you would try and you know work on a higher level. Right, right. Um, and then there's management, who nobody, nobody talks knows. to and everybody's scared of. Um. So. Yeah, and the funny thing about that is that so it's understood that that the the prime the one from the other world found out that Emily was a spy and she'd been keeping it from him and that's what turned him into a huge dick. Like he threw a big tantrum about it, and then um, 
you know, and then they're, they can... They're and that set him on his path to being then, a right. spy and himself. So, like, it is just sort of, maybe as an act of revenge, he worked his way up the org chart or something. But, yeah. we, but we find out in, like, the last or the second to last episode that our Silk knew about his Emily being a spy as well. Like, yeah. he knew that. Right, but like, he wanted to make like, it work. And, right, I mean, and he it, did. Was, it was more important to him that he have his relationship with Emily than it was um, to, like, revenge his way up the orc chart right. or whatever the So fuck. just kind of briefly, the overall plot of the whole thing is that, that um, the there are some radicals on the prime side mm-hmm. who uh, believe that the flu was created by the alphas um, as, a, as an act of war, basically. And so they are working on revenge by creating, there's a whole school of, of children who are sleeper agents that are taking over the identities of their counterparts in the, in the alpha world right. and in key positions to um, send a message and to, you know, the, the, like the season one culmination is a, is a huge office um, gunfight. And that's understood to be the stepping stone of much bigger things that they've set in motion. Right, because like um, the, but like, this, the, whole, the whole point of this is is that it's this clandestine um, guerrilla warfare that a, that a rogue faction, this is not official on the Prime side, this is a rogue faction, has decided to implement on their own because they're fanatics about it and they really believe that the flu is set. And that's up in the air. We don't know that the flu was, was, was actually a, a, an intentional act by the Alpha side or not. But it is something that's different between the worlds, and there's, a, I mean, because there's a lot of differences between the worlds. Um, but that's sort of, in, in a nutshell, like the the Alpha and Prime Howards switch places, and they sort of muck around in each other's lives, being the the, right. the person that they couldn't have been right on their own. It's very much like, like they're, they're yeah, two they, sides of the same Howard. Right. They're, yeah, two sides of the same coin or whatever, and then you know, and they be, they each go in and do things that the other couldn't do in their own lives. Right, like, so, I mean, Howard Alpha going over to the prime side finds out that there's this family. And, like, not only is Emily alive, but they have a child together. And um, and they both hate him. And he's like, boy, that's super weird, you know. And he understands that it's not his family, but he still feels a certain um, pull to just try to make things right, to be compassionate, to listen to their problems, well, to almost, work through what's going on. Because, you know, the, Emily, Emily... Emily figures him out. Immediate, like she knows everybody does everybody can tell everybody who's paying attention knows that that's not yeah. that's not because i mean you can you can be kind of a big dick if you're normally compassionate and people will be like I guess you're having a bad day but if you're normally a big dick and you suddenly are compassionate people are like have you are been you replaced by a pod a person stroke? yeah like what <laughs> is going on there so they yeah. all knew yes yeah, so they all know and and quickly because he's all about compassion and forgiveness like that's who he is and so he goes over to the other side and like ends up kind of almost winning over his family you know even though his wife is totally sleeping with some other guy in housekeeping who they have to work with on a regular basis and And it's understood that they're but another thing there is that like his emily has been in a coma or whatever for uh six weeks and there's an element i mean he even says this at one point where he's like I look at you and I see the woman I have been in love with for 30 years. Yeah. And then I have to pull myself back. There is a sort of element of, of he and Emily are having this sort of, um, I mean, I, I think calling it an affair is too strong, but they are having a, this sort of connection with one well, another. Well, right, because even Emily Prime would love Howard Alpha because he's kind and compassionate and every and like not repelling her 
all the time, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and so, and, and Howard Prime is really pissed about this because, I mean, he does not want Alpha fucking around in his life. Like, he's he's got things set up the way he likes it. And it's also just totally reflexive. Like, like there are points when he lies about shit that are, that it, that are completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like he, uh, there's also times where he tells the truth and it's unnecessary. Like, I mean, and he just, I mean, I guess he didn't really realize it, but when he's like, hey, you know, your best friend Andre is sleeping with your wife who's in a coma. That's why you know him is, like, he went to see her in the hospital, and he's like, yeah, I know. And and he's just sort of, like, you know, gobsmacked by this. Like, Prime mm-hmm. cannot understand why this situation would happen. Like, he sees Howard as this total wimp, and Howard's just like, you know, I mean all of these people are in pain and I understand it's like, he's got like all of this compassion for everybody. And yeah, it's like, that's completely alien to the other Howard. So like, I keep thinking about this in terms of the, the, the Star Trek episode where Kirk has a goatee <laughs> because he's from the antimatter world or whatever. And it's like, or, or actually I don't, I think that's a, the, a different one. He's, he's created like, he's split into two. There's like the nice one and the evil one. And they, there are different Isn't episodes, there, I well, think. There's like, there's but like it's like, right, there's, there's it's like a transporter right absent. Yeah. Um, yeah. That may have happened in the next generation too. Anyway, but the one where there's like a, a, a meek one and a you know evil one, they they sort of decide in the Star Trek episode that it's like you know well, why don't we just get rid of the evil one and, and it turns out that the nice one can't make any decisions without the you know because he he they're they're both parts of his personality <laughs> that make him who he is. But I mean, for as much as you eye roll it, like that's what this counterpart is about that completely. I mean, it, right, you take the same not, person and you're seeing so, different like, aspects of the same person. And deterministic. You know well, I mean? yeah, but it's the exact same idea where, where it's, it's, you know, you have this one Howard who's super compassionate and this other Howard who's, who's like a, you know, total career pile driver. And they are both good and bad at their own lives in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Howard Alpha cannot, for the life of him, get out of this dumb interface job that he's been in for 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. and he should be higher. Like, he's obviously got the skill set to do more, to offer more to his world than just, you know, reading random code phrases for 30 years. I mean, that just seems right, like a right. dumb job. But then, on the other hand, like, when, when Alpha goes to Prime's world, um, you know, I mean, that Prime doesn't, he's not a decent human being. No. He's just not. I mean, no. like, he can't maintain any relationships other than with guys that he pays to be his bodyguard or friend or whatever. Right. You know I mean? No, like he has. Well, although, I mean... So, People respect him for sure. So this is but that's this is different. a character that we we have had some trouble with. So there's this guy called Alexander Pope, which I find somewhat hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> because Alexander Pope is an 18th century writer who um, did things like translate the Iliad and the Odyssey into heroic couplets, which, if you know anything about poetry, is the most fucking insane thing that anybody has ever done. Ultimately, he's the like the brainchild of the fanaticism of the, the you know the flu retaliation, where you know Pope is kind of in charge of sending like setting up the school and sending these clones right. in to take over um, and and sort of masterminding the machinations behind all of the um, you know the the assassination like Baldwin going to assassinate people. Um, and and kind of get everything ready for the clones to take over, and some some of whom have already taken over. As we find out, um, you know, so there's Peter who is in head, the head of strategy that that um, is. I think interface must be a part Under of that strategy, because yeah. Howard goes to him to get a, a raise or to get a promotion, 
And he's like, oh, no, you can't. But then no. turns turns around and he needs him because Howard, like, from the Prime World, is like, I won't do anything unless Howard Alpha is there. Right. And you have to include him in all of this. And that, for him, is just sort of like a safety valve, but it also allows him to switch places and stay in this world. And I think part of it is because um, our... Alpha Emily, who is in the coma, turns out is a spy, but has also been corresponding with the Howard on the other side. Um, And they've been trying to work out what's been going on with the school. And so they all kind of have to work together um, to figure that out eventually. But Pope is sort of at the center of that on the prime side. But what I wanted to say about Pope was that, um, you know, uh, very early on, uh, Howard Prime goes to see Pope. And... um, you know, and they have this really funny, it's very, um, Le Carre where they have the meeting in a church and, right. and, uh, Pope has this like kind of assassin looking dude with his tiny dog. Right. He like hands like, off literally the dog shitting in the church. He is loyal to this Pope character who literally orders his rendition the next episode. Yeah. Like Pope is getting him killed and he's been his lapdog was like, Kind of literally, they're trying to draw the parallels between Pope having a lapdog and Silk. Right, right. Anyway, so then we have uh, Peter and Claire, and it turns out that Claire is one of these school-bred clones who has come in and infiltrated. Oh, Peter being the head of strategy. Right, the one who Howard went to for the promotion. who we find out is his wife, but we only find out it's his wife after we've seen her be the assassin's handler through this right she's the one thing. paying paying baldwin um and and so what like so howard's character is really there to sort of show us these these dichotomies in our own personalities and like the whole show kind of does that i mean it's it's almost like a like a psychological metaphor for um you know you've got like the different different um sometimes competing things going on in your own brain you know i mean there's the like conscious and subconscious there's um you know id ego super ego and and some of these things i think are a little more explicit like in the structure of the office i think that the way that they have like um housekeeping is kind of like the lizard brain that just sort of maintains bodily functions and whatever and then there's there's um strategy which is the is like the um the id where it's like this is like i want these things these are my wants and needs and i'm going to strive for those things and then there's diplomacy which is more like the super ego that's like well society wants these things and that's the stuff that we should really you don't, you be don't rationalizing like, these things like housekeeping and um strategy would be different like switched the the housekeeping is the id because that's the one that kills and But it's more about cleanup. It's more about, like, it's called housekeeping, not, you know, I mean, strategy is about um, what are we going to do, and housekeeping is about, it's more of a supporting role for strategy and diplomacy to to some extent, but, like, they're there to clean up bodies. They're not there to make decisions, Hmm. you know. I mean, and that's ultimately what Emily Prime is doing in housekeeping is is cleaning up this huge mess, you know? I mean, she's yeah. she's the one who kind of uncovers the school, understands be... the implication of it, whatever. But then there's, like, management, which is um, the, the like, the, the ego, where, where it's kind of directing everything. And the only way we ever see management is through this weird four-way camera that's set in the middle of a table, and yeah. a guy who puts on headphones and hears this sort of transmission, 
and then relays it to the people in the room. And this is how they talk with management. Like Which nobody comes crazy. down. We don't know. We don't ever see who they are. We don't interact with them directly at all. That's as close as they ever get to them, which is pretty weird. And but it is sort of like I mean, if you think about it in, in terms of like a giant brain, that would be sort of how it works. But then I also think that there's another kind of interesting um, psychological, almost metaphor in the way that the two worlds are set up, where where it's like you know left brain, right brain worlds, and the and the the tunnel under. In Berlin is that like corpus callosum mm-hmm. that, that that's the only connection between them and and they're two like completely autonomous and independent areas that that you know are very similar in structure and in function mm-hmm. but they do really different things in different ways you know and and it's and it's not as like it kind of breaks down because like one of them isn't more reason and intellectual and one's more emotional or whatever it doesn't really work like that but it's like there's two halves of the same thing there is that are work that functionally like kind of have to to work together in this whole thing to solve this problem i feel like there is a sense in which they are i mean you know this this takes place in because the one side invented the iphone and the other didn't right well i mean this this, this takes place in berlin which i think is you know, kind of gives you a sort of obvious overlay of, like, East and West Germany. It's this obvious Cold War analogy, right? That it takes place in Berlin and, and it's invoking all of that stuff, mm-hmm. right? And there's a sense at which the sort of Russians and Americans or the, the Soviets and the Americans, like, define themselves against the other, right? So they end up being this sort of philosophical dialectic mm-hmm. that, that is in, in, you know, in tune with one another. And that's sort of the case, I think, with the two different worlds. That wouldn't have been the case at the split. Mm-hmm. But once you have the, um, you know, the the proximal cause of all this shit going down on the other side is the um, pandemic that they had in 96. Like, a 7% loss of life would be the apocalypse. And, like, they, and so their, their world kind of reorients to fucking revenge you know <laughs> like like there's a there's a way in which like the this side is the like blithe like oh, well but we you, i mean no I, I got the sense that it was more of like QAnon fringe people who believed that the flu had been because most people in in both worlds are not even aware that there is another world so most of the people in that world would just have had the flu and not realized that there even was another world you know i mean it would only have been people who knew that there was another world who would then have like a smaller subset of those would have like this, this fanatical belief that it was orchestrated by the other side. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously this, you know, this was all written before the horrific world we live in. Um, (laughs) but I think actually probably a good analogy would be QAnon. Yeah. Where you have, I mean, it is a non-trivial minority of people who believe completely insane things. Like yeah, they, totally. And they and they yep. they are, I mean, they don't just believe insane things. They are acting on those things in a way that does horrific harm in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, like these people and are to getting themselves. <laughs> right, but these people are getting elected into Congress, and they are, you know, they are, you know, they stormed the fucking Capitol. Yeah. Well, and I think that you, you sort of see this fanaticism being translated into the next generation in the school where they are where they are teaching them that they are they are not children who have things. Mm-hmm. They are operatives who have missions. And it is your job 
to go and take the place of this other person and do what you're told. And so Claire was one of the first of these, and they had to bring her in unexpectedly because um, uh, Peter had been sleeping around, and his Claire had found out about it right before this wedding. And, and she was about to, you know, she was about to, over. yeah. And so um, Claire Prime shows up, and you know, wax Claire Alpha out of the way. Um, gets into a, a, a like stages of a break in or yeah. mugging or whatever and then has Peter come over and then says she's sorry or whatever and wants to get married now and that and then he just sort of accepts her into life after like a period of surveillance of the two where she tries to pick up all of the mannerisms of the other Claire mm-hmm. and Peter doesn't notice she pulls it off successfully and yeah. you know and they and get married and, and then also, they have a child and you, move forward and like presumably this whole time like they, they're like there's a mole in the office and it turns out it's been his wife the whole time right and you get the impression because like if you see you see how spoiler alert <laughs> no i mean you we're not talking about spoilers because obviously like the whole thing is a spoiler, spoiler alert. Thing is spoiled. but <laughs> anyway but like if you look at like so this guy is highly placed in a spy agency, right? Yeah. And you... Placed by Claire's father, Fancher, who is in charge of diplomacy. Right. But he is... Like, got his son-in-law right. this job. Right. So it's like, it's like she is so well-placed right. to be but the spy. I, let me just finish, which is that, you know, the, the, the two silks swap, and everyone in their lives is like, what in the fuck? Mm-hmm. You're not the dude I know, you're obviously the other one. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Peter Quayle couldn't figure that out is a sort of indicator of what a dilettante he is. Right. You know, well, because but also, like, people like, are sort how of good constantly, right, how good Claire is, but then, because people are constantly discounting Quayle, rightly so. Yeah, because, because, they, he because he's a nepotism By getting hire. married. He's a nepotism hire, and he has fallen upwards his whole life. And to some extent, he is aware of that too. But and the it, fact that he's it, aware like, of it in a in a like I'm mad because I think I actually got it on merit sense. Right, and I mean he sort of accidentally discovers and is wrapped up in this the, this whole problem, um, and sees it coming before Fancher does even, and mm-hmm. ends up getting you know a commendation from management for being the only one to see this coming when in fact it's his they put him in charge of the investigation that is it's looking his for wife, his wife you know like it's so the he's, mole hunt. you know he has this like you know con- conscience uh, moment like a, a, a crisis where he has to um, kind of figure out how he wants to approach it does he want to kill his wife does he want to cuz i mean this is a huge betrayal Right. Of like he's you know it's it's like are you even the woman I married and it turns out yeah he literally he did marry that particular he, right. he woman mar- he married her after she had totally killed <laughs> his the, other the fiance right um, but you know I mean it, it's just sort of sort of um, fascinating to to watch her trajectory because it's sort of mirrored in Baldwin too um, who as an assassin still likes people <laughs> so she finds a girlfriend and like sort of doesn't really settle down but like it gets serious to the point where the girlfriend is like asking probing questions and and you know baldwin is is you know nervous about it but like claire claire and baldwin sort of share this sort of they, they were they were raised to be operatives or claire was anyway but baldwin has become an operative and they don't really have anything outside of their job like that's what defines them i was gonna say is Baldwin this... like baldwin keeps like She's obviously like begging for affection, 
You know, yeah. like she, she, because she does. Sleep, she also needs a place she, to sleep. She sleeps with Claire at one point, her handler, which is a horrible idea. Um, oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, they. It's a they, horrible idea. It's a horrible idea because obviously, because Claire, Claire is much, much more cold blooded than she is. But like, she's she's like. Or a, we're led to believe. I mean, but that that's she's kind like of... a child with attachment issues. You right. know what I mean? Like she's just constantly looking for affection. And, you know, but, she's finding it in sex and, and her work, but... Well. That's kind of my point, which is that um, they're, they're both sort of looking for this thing that, that is their own. That's mm-hmm. not the thing that defines them by their job. Um, so, you know, with, with Baldwin, that's, that's this girlfriend that she doesn't really want to explain what she does. She doesn't want to explain why she has a gun in her bag. Um, but she does really crave human contact. She craves mm-hmm. anything other than this other you know, life that, of being an assassin, which, you know, I mean, she's good at, but I mean, does that really help? You know, I mean, yeah. she, what she wants is a girlfriend and to just sort of have a life. And that's Claire's thing too, where, um, you know, we, we find that she's, since she had the baby, um, who she named Spencer after one of her friends in clone school, mm-hmm. where it turns out you're not allowed to have friends. And so they berated her for that. Um, but she, they, they had a connection. And so that's why she named her daughter that. Uh, but now that she's got the daughter, she feels a tether to this alpha world that that wasn't really accounted for in her schooling. And, and you know, I mean, it's been like five years now, and she's mm-hmm. got this kid, and so, like, she can't stop spying, but she can't really keep spying either. So she's, like, walking this really fine line. She just wants to keep Peter and her baby out of it. But it's also a bad idea if you're a spy to have babies because of this. I mean, like, this is the problem. Right, it's no, like this is definitely Creating an attachment. But that's sort of, like, ultimately, she's like, well, this is my thing. This is the first time I've ever had anything of my own. And that really, like, kind of gives her pause. I mean, she still has to do certain things and, like, pay Baldwin to kill certain people or whatever. I mean, it's like, we all have jobs. But <laughs> um, eventually, Peter then has to sort of figure out what he wants to do like how he wants to approach it and whether he wants to um forgive her for this like massive betrayal um and then also you know because he's also got his kid to think about like that his kid's not a a clone Mm -hmm. it's well because he i mean he because he's so bad at his job like he tries to burn silk like he tries to say that silk is the mole which given silk alpha's um career path is laughable yeah (laughs) like that that howard is not a spy badass right but he tries to burn him with aldrich who is the um head of housekeeping and aldrich kind of goes along with it a little bit but he knows that that's bullshit um and yeah i don't know it's just kind of like hilarious how bad peter is at his job and it yeah. sort of accidentally works out for him. Like, there's, you know, there's a bunch of gun shit and people shooting each other and whatever in the last two episodes. And so he ends up in a position where everybody who knows that he's fucked um, is either dead or on the other side of a unbreachable wall. Yeah, and, and I guess that's the, the end result is they, they cut the corpus callosum right. and, and close yes. the wall because that's there's the one, of the, one of the gunmen... Um, who is infiltrated and shoots up the office, like crawls down into the passageway where neither side can really touch him. And the one side, Alpha wants Prime to pick him up and claim them as, as their own because, you know, this is clearly in retaliation for the flu. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is your this is an act of war. 
And Prime is like, actually, we didn't orchestrate this at all. This is some rogue faction, so we're not taking responsibility for him. So they just sort of seal up their doors, and now this guy dies in the middle. And it's yeah. like this tomb, you know, of the, of the, the faction. Um, but we, we still have all like of our the, clones on the, the other Dana, side. Danish series called... Uh... Bridge. The bridge, yeah. I mean, I think it's or body with, like a is found it, in the middle of the bridge. Yeah, the bridge between uh, Denmark and Sweden. Although I think they made a bunch of different versions of that. There yeah, was like an American. Well, it's a fascinating idea. It's like you're right on the border, and that's and that's what's really interesting about all of this. Like in the Cold War, like with you know Checkpoint Charlie, mm-hmm. with this, um, w- with our laughably bad guards. When those people come through with guns, the guards were hired specifically to keep people from coming through. Yeah. And they have guns. They're equipped. They know it's there. They know it's happening. And yet they just get completely mowed down as if they yes, weren't, it's, you know, even it's there. It's pretty tragic. Um, but to be fair, they've been stamping passports this whole time. But the, 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 the checkpoint itself is this sort of liminal area that is really fascinating. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like how do you decide which is which, you know? Yeah. Like at what point is is you know moving from one side to the other and you kind of think about all of these characters who have crossed over you know where the silks have like actually taken you know each other's places on either side and are are now trapped there for the second season and i guess we'll we'll see what happens there right um but that's it's that in between state that's really fascinating because psychologically there's like you know the state between being awake and dreaming Mm-hmm. There's like there are all these like borderlines, and that's where the interesting stuff happens. You know, like the yeah. border between like consciousness and subconsciousness, or um, interior and exterior. Because there's who you are, or who you think you are on the inside, and what you present, or what you think you're presenting to other people. Right. And that's sort of like you know that's sort of like hinted at by the two Howard Silks. Right. Um, because the the two like. Emily's are fairly similar people. Like a lot of the people who are there well, we really haven't we, diverged. We don't, we don't know anything about the uh, Alpha Emily. Right, or but I mean, presumably the trajectory little. is the same because obviously she's still a spy. She never she's had just, a child. Yeah, she never, she never became had a child. an addict. Yep, but I mean, there's, there's, you know, the, the, the sense is that like the, the people themselves aren't necessarily all that different because the sure. story is about Howard. Right. You know, and, and that's really where you get this sort of psychological... You know, like where what what's the border between them? Like they both need to learn to be a little more like each other. That's ultimately mm-hmm. where we come to is that it's like, you know, you could use a little compassion, Mr. Mm-hmm. Spy Man. Right. And the other guy like could use a little bit of spine. And they actually I mean, I feel like the whole it happens in the second to last episode, but both Howards end up in one of those interface rooms with the glass between them. And they have a conversation about in, and they've spent a week living each other's lives, right? Yeah, and they have some things to say to and the other is, one. And this is <laughs> this is absolutely the heart of the series, is the two of them. With this liminal go, space, go this borderline right, between bo- them. This, like, and, unbreachable you know, you border. Know, you notice when you're watching it, like, I don't know how they did this, but, like, the ones talking, you can, you can see his reflection in the mirror as you're looking at the other one. Yeah. Like, it's, it is incredibly well done, and they are, yeah. they are very much doing some film shit yeah well you know, and like, i mean this is the, this is the pivotal scene of the series yeah. but and so and where they, they start yelling at they each other go after each other just hammer and tongs and it is really fucking electric it's yeah like oh, it is so good. i mean it, it's the kind of scene that has you just kind of clutching the edge of the couch because it's like yeah. they are not holding back and they are ripping each other to shit and yeah. like and it's i mean i mean it's it's almost like 
the most fucking intense therapy episode of all time. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Well, because neither neither is pulling any punches, and both of them has some really salient things to say. It's like to tr- the other truth one. bomb after truth bomb, and both get under each other's skin. Like you would. Yeah, no, if I mean you just hate yourself. yourself. <laughs> like I can't stand myself. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think you necessarily have to hate yourself, but it is. I they mean, do hate each other. But it is like you know the the another Earth you know that that question is posed. It's like what would you even say to your other counterpart? Right. And um, you know, I you know the girl says better luck next time, and then she's like, no, no, I wouldn't say that. And the movie ends, you know, when she does meet her counterpart, they don't actually show us that conversation. But yeah, it, because but yeah, it is an interesting say? like kind of thought experiment yeah i mean because ultimately like i think parallel universes uh because we had talked about all the like the timey-wimey stuff sort of being about regret of of choices that you've made yeah and the parallel university worsey stuff is more about um investigating the the like psychological makeup of who you are and the and the circumstances of of like with sliding doors, it was the consequences of not of a choice that she made necessarily, no. but it was like these two different trajectories that her life took, and she's still the same person, right. just in different circumstances. And what does that look like? You get to compare and contrast, like right. what you are, like what it's nature versus nurture, right? It's like how much of who you are is made up of your experiences, and how much is just part of who you are? Because there's a there's a scene where Howard is like, well, I see we picked the same shirt, and they're both dressed the same. And he's like, of course, you know, because like this guy is just disdains Alpha, like Prime hates him, but whatever. Right. They still pick the same shirt. It's still the same guy. Right. It, with completely different circumstances, you, you can kind of see, um, you know, how, how that experiential side, it gets reflected in your personality makeup and so, how it can change you as a person. So, so just sort of going back to, you know, you, you sort of talked about the, the way the spy agency acts, functions as a sort of Freudian model of the personality, right? Yeah, which I made up entirely. I don't know if that was no, what they were I going like for. But... No, 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 I like it. But I, I'm just going to sort of build on that, which is that, like, you know, it's sort of astonishing to think because I feel like these ideas have sort of uh, sunken into the, the uh, Western consciousness so hard that we act like these have an objective reality, but actually the id ego and super ego are uh, metaphors. Right. They, they do, they do not, the subconscious, it is a metaphor. It does not have reality. Right. Um, but they are ways of sort of constructing and understanding the personality, right? A person's personality where we say, you know, we talk about these different aspects and then, um, how they work with each other. Right. Right. And like, you know, I grew up, my dad is, I hesitate to say hippie, but he definitely fell in with a lot of those sort of, uh, woo, woo things. <laughs> and one of, one of them that he fell into was, uh, numerology. Um. Oh yeah. And dragged you into it too. I don't know that it was dragged into, it was more like I learned it at his knee lovingly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is, this is sort of the background radiation of my life. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm not drunk enough, but I, like, if I am, I will absolutely do your numbers and I am not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, on some, but so the point I'm trying to make though, is that the, like when you're doing numerology, it has a very different um, sort of psychological schism that they understand a person to be. So mm-hmm. you take your you take your name and you write it out, 
and then you assign number values to each of the letters mm -hmm. and all of the um, vowels are understood to be your inner life as you understand yourself and all of the consonants are understood to be the self that you project and so it's not so much as a as an id ego split as it is a self as you understand yourself and self as you project which is similar to astrology handles yes. handles that the same right. way I yeah think. because you would have the um you know the sun sign which is your kind of core self and then you would have the rising sign which is the right. But anyway, but it's just... And, a, and it's not like they're invalid theories or something. No, no, I mean, no, Because there's just, just ways of thinking about things that right. help you understand yourself and the world around you. Right. Not necessarily predicting no, no, no. shit because no, 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 when no, you were no. born. No, no, no. But that's I not mean, the point. Right. I'm not... Right. Because numerology is not predictive. Right. And, and, and I would argue that neither is astrology. If right. you find somebody who believes it's predictive, run away from them. They are doing it wrong. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying that, like, I think that there's a way in which... You know, like one of the um, sort of theories that gets presented in Another Earth is the broken mirror theory, mm -hmm. which is that um, at the point when the two Earths become aware of each other, which is actually similar and analogous to the two uh, realities shearing off at this one point in time, mm -hmm. that that's the point that they become, that they diverge. And up until that point, they were the same. Mm -hmm. And so the cracked mirror, so there is a certain kind of like psychological schism that's going on there. Like, you know, and that when they begin to see each other, mm -hmm. it's like, like whenever I do somebody's numbers, like their inner personality number makes sense to them and their outer personality number, they're like, that's not the way I go. That's not the way I am. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's not for you. Right. <laughs> like, that's not the number that makes sense to you. Right. Right. It wouldn't. Anyway, but I just think that there's there's something in this story that is sort of uh, playing with personality that way, where it's like a... The like inner a, versus outer self. Inner versus outer yeah. self, or like it, it, is, it is dividing up the psyche in ways that we're not used to necessarily. You right. know what I mean? Like we're right. used to the it ego thing, but, you know, so when I talk about numerology, people are like, oh, that's weird. But like, I mean, it is weird. I get it. But <laughs> but it's like palmistry, where it's like yeah. you're, you're telling somebody something that they can reflect on, yeah. that they can reflect back, and and that's yep. the whole point of it is that it's it's more like therapy than it is, yeah. you know, anything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's really kind of the the whole point of of talking about your inner self versus your outer self is it's a gentle way of talking about difficult things with people because right. they are internal states that are hard to sometimes get out. And that's that's one way to do it. And I think that that's something that, like, the Howards struggle with. You know, I mean, I right. think that's that's kind of the, the core struggle of this whole series is yeah, yeah. is that, that inner versus outer self and how you... Because, I mean, you have Howard Alpha, which I I, I kind of think of as more the inner self because he's he's thoughtful and, right. and introspective. And, emotive, and right. the other one is is more, like, take charge, confident. Like, he's he's projecting himself into the and world. And dick. Well, yeah, that's how you do it, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. anyway, but yeah, I, I think that, that that's like a really, um, this whole series keeps doing that. They keep finding the borders between things yeah. and talking about either side as a way of describing the border and, mm -hmm. you know, or, or talking about the border as a way of differentiating like different classes of things, right. which, which is really cool. I mean, it's a really neat 
way that they it's 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 smart writing. I mean, because I you talk because you talk about the right and left brain and the corpus callosum that goes between them. Those parts of the brain are the same person. Yeah, but they're, they're not, kind of unaware of, of they, each they, other. They because... may be unaware of each other. But it's, but it's not like... You've got like interface, which is like sending coded messages between, and it's right. not quite enough. It's, well, yeah, it's not quite accurate. But yeah, it's like the, uh, there's a Vonnegut quote where it's like, there's a, what, what's that thing in that bird shit? And the guy's like, it's all bird shit. <laughs> like, it's not, I don't know what book that was from. But anyway, but yeah, but it's just like, it's not, there's right and left. It's, it's all you. Right, right. You know, so anyway. Um... So I forget which um, neurological condition I was reading about, but but one of the treatments was to cut the corpus callosum. It's it's epilepsy. Epilepsy because it, and it, stopped, like it a, prevents a, the electrical storm from happening right. in the brain and and like you know or at least contains it so well, that it, it doesn't. It just keeps it because it's like a feedback loop where the storm happens and then it hits both sides and if you can like cut it off at the pass then it. Will... Yeah, yeah. Um, so the. But what's fascinating about that is, so when they close the doors at the end of this thing, that's functionally what's happening is you're cutting off the two worlds. So they become separate worlds again. Um, and that is, it's fascinating. The, the, the idea that the left brain and the right brain are not in direct contact, but they're still both you. And they're still both in right. control of your body. And so you find yourself right. doing things that you can't explain because that's not the part of your brain that's doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And and there are also... Um, you know, I mean, there's there's the whole like you know, right side controlling the left side or whatever. I mean, like there there are other things that happen that it's like the the, the brain itself isn't necessarily aware of what it's doing because kind of like the 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 left brain action is to rationalize things and to mm. um, try to understand things intellectually and to try and make sense of stuff, and the right brain is is more um, intuitive and trying to just you know. Um, see patterns and act on them and to do stuff you know um and i think and, and and it's it's that sort of active creation that the the right brain is um performing that the left brain is then rationalizing about it's like as a as an art student you're you're taught to create artist statements and i always thought they were the stupidest thing because it's like i'm just making up garbage this is like what an english major does this is not what an <laughs> art student does you know i love like, that you characterize what an english student does is garbage right it's like Thanks, the garbage bro. let me explain this thing that is fundamentally unexplainable yeah, well, right and that's the like... right brain left brain thinking patterns right and that's it's like so that's another one of those borders that they sort of create and talk about but psychologically is really fascinating because it, it is you're all one person but there are different parts of you it's a different way of thinking about that psychological state of the the actor and the interpreter mm-hmm. that that you are doing things because you have a biological imperative. And I feel like there's, there's, you can also kind of see that in the different Howards, right? I mean, like the spy Howard is the, um, the actor. He's the, he's the doer. He doesn't think about anything. He just does it. He just shoots the gun. He catches the bad guy, whatever. The other Howard, like, almost spends too much time thinking about well, yeah, stuff. He ponders to, his promotion and can't get one. Yeah. You know, he thinks about what he does. He's thoughtful about other people's feelings and you know, to kind of a fault where it's like, he's so thoughtful and so compassionate that his wife is cheating on him and he knows about it and he's friends with the guy. I mean, that's 
messed up. Yeah, that's... It's so messed up, that's you not, know? That's, that's and a, Howard Prime is just sort like of, like, a, so done with that. He just moves on, you know? A passivity that is actually kind of frustrating. I yeah. I mean, one can understand, um, like, Prime's frustrations with him. Yeah, totally. Like, even, even though he's a dick and you are just sort of, you know... You don't want to like him. I mean, you want to. No, but like, what that situation needs like is a he, dick. Yeah, right. But I mean, like even even I think it's the second episode when you know, like, like uh, Prime goes to read to uh, Alpha's wife in the hospital so that he can head off the um, Baldwin assassin, right? Um, and. Because he's a dick, he doesn't pay attention to the details. Like, you know, the other, uh, like the other silk has been going in and putting a flower in the stand. And at then, the nurse's station. At the nurse's station, and then bringing the new flowers into his wife. He doesn't do that because he doesn't fucking care about anybody. Yeah. And then he goes into the the hospital room, and that's what I mean. And you know, Baldwin's good enough at her job that she's like, "Yep, that's different. I'm not going in there." Yeah. Um, but. And so he fucks that up by not being careful and thoughtful and empathetic. But at the same time, he has a conversation. At the same time, the Silks, their their brother-in-law, and you get the impression that the wife comes from a wealthy British family. <laughs> yeah. Which is ruled over by a dragon lady of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, you know, upper class twit of the year brother-in-law shows up. And is like, you need to sign over all your rights, blah de blah. We want to be the ones in we charge did. of Emily's care. Right. We're gonna take Emily back to England. You're not her family, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Which is all just fucking trash. Like they've been married for thirty years. Fuck off forever. Right. <laughs> um, and I don't like I legitimately don't know what the real silk would have done with him. Or with the alpha brother. would have done with the brother. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he was just trying to figure out how not to sign it, but also just wasn't dealing with it. He wasn't dealing with it. He was it. just putting it but off. The, but, the, but Silk Prime is like, I'm going to fuck your shit up. You get the fuck He's out like, of here. He's like, come at me, bro. Yeah, come at me, bro. You have no legal standing. Yeah. Get out of here before I fuck your shit up. Yeah, forever. also go away. Right. And... And like, and that is the first time and the most like clear time that it's like that's what <laughs> that's what Alpha needs is a little bit of fuck that guy because you yeah. get the impression that he's been showing up regularly. Right, but you also get the sense that it's the worlds themselves that generate these these behaviors because at one point Pope even says like, what I do is I you know he's talking to Alpha. And he's like, I turn, I turn a Howard like you into a Howard like him. Yeah. Like that's what I do. And it's and it, and and you kind of get the sense that it's it's the, the the I mean they're directly talking about the circumstances um, making the the person like mm-hmm. what happens to you makes you who you are. So it's the, like the the I think the prime world is more about is more about like the um, talking about how your experiences mm-hmm. shape you into what you are. Whereas I think that maybe the the alpha world is kind of like who you are is more core to the things that happen to you because obviously both both people i mean both of them were aware that emily was a spy they just reacted to it differently yeah you know yeah i mean i think it's also not to be discounted that the um prime world went through this um horrific traumatizing event in the pandemic mm-hmm. i mean i think that that's there's definitely an aspect in which that that 
entire world has PTSD. Yeah. And that, um, you know, all of the people on that side are reacting in those ways because of it. Yeah. Like both protective and and vengeful and all of those instincts are coming out of a deep, deep pain. But it's insane because the, the form that that revenge takes is to completely obliterate the identities of the people on this side to replace the ones on the other side and assume their lives and their identities. Metaphorically speaking, that is actually kind of accurate if you're talking about the effects of trauma. Because the person that you were before the traumatic event is obliterated in that event. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the person that comes out on the other side... Or you create a new persona to deal with it and then just... Right. I mean, or they're like nesting dolls where the one one continues to exist inside the other, but it is is very real, you know? Yeah. Yep, that is... And and it's it's definitely an enormous trauma, like a cultural trauma that they, they internalize and then it just sort of festers. And this is one way that it pops out of this whole, like, you know... Of right. the people who are aware of this other world, they've decided that it's their fault and they right. need to lash out. And whether it actually is or not is irrelevant. They believe that it is right. for kind of no good reason. And even you would have to, like, and how would you prove a negative? I mean, there's there's no world in which you could be like, no, no, we didn't actually do it. Because right. everybody on the alpha side is like, no, no, we didn't do that. Well, and everybody in diplomacy is like, it's sort of understood that it's like, you know, we didn't do it officially and then... You know, they're like, yeah, of course not, right? <laughs> because it's like that—that's what diplomacy is for—is that—is right. that sort of high-level, um, you know, we have to say this, right? Well, because like, regardless of what we believe, because like Pope, who is clearly the architect of this horrific, like body snatchers plan, is also highly placed in the actual legitimate. Uh, prime office. Yeah, I mean like, that's how the whole thing very, works. Very, very highly placed. And presumably the ambassador is, if if he's not just on the take, he's a replacement because the ambassador on the alpha side is in on it. The, yeah. Like they are both they are both working together to like get these people from one side to mm-hmm. the other to yeah. have them placed into the office in strategic Which locations. Which makes me happy because it really. It otherwise makes absolutely no sense that they would just be like, there's no like sneaking over when there's this one fucking point of contact. Well, and every single person who goes through from the one side, you know, popping out the other side, that they have a double in this world somewhere. You know who that is. Like, you absolutely knew who know who every single person comes through. So, like, the visa themselves are kind of irrelevant because you could just go look them up. Be like, you know, they're in your world somewhere. Yes and no. Although, know? I mean, it, it's 30 years, which is enough for... For sure, the Baldwin character, like, she obviously grew up in, like, Bulgaria or something, where which would be far enough away from the point of contact so that both, you know, both girls grew up with the same upbringing. And right. Like, the assassin could have and, been a concert right. violinist. And so it was only when they got to Berlin and started to, you know, they're, like... All of the people that you see at the end that have replaced their counterparts, all of those people would have been born after the split. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's all kinds of potentials for um, you don't actually know. Yeah, but I mean, there would be a certain amount of momentum in, oh, in, the, sure. in the world yeah. because it's only been 30 years and they're not completely different, but the pandemic is a huge stressor. Right. I mean, is, there's, yeah, and then there's like, a, there's like this whole like... And si- for some reason, cigarettes so, are a big difference. Like that one, I couldn't quite figure out where it's like cigarettes are illegal 
in the one place and not in the other place. And so, like, if you're caught with a pack of cigarettes going through, then it's, like, like, this huge problem. But it's, like, why would you develop that habit in the first place if you were, you know? I mean, like, that just seems like a weird thing to do. Like, oh, I know, I'm going to go smoke. Uh, Like, who does that? My sense was that they were, um, yeah, it's like they'd been on the alpha side long enough that they'd picked up the habit. And then whatever. But I, I did also, I did appreciate the whole, like, it, you know, the, like every culture has its like the chocolate they like, or or the alcohol, or the alcohol they like, yeah. and and those things like you know the be, other side just doesn't know how to they do become, tea, right? Exactly, it becomes really <laughs> talismanic for identity. And, you know, Doctor No, like the reason he identifies that Double O Seven identifies a spy is because he orders red wine with fish. <laughs> right. I'm dead serious. And it's I'm like, sure I've done that. Yeah, I'm sure I've done that too. I mean, I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. But like, yeah. It turns out he's not a spy. He's just gauche. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like apparently that was a big enough deal it would be legible to enough of the like audience to be like, oh my yeah. god, he didn't get a Chablis <gasps> or whatever. I thought something was wrong. I know, right? But it was, yeah. But yeah, and then he beats the shit out of him in a train car in a really yeah. sweet sequence. But yeah. Well, and I feel like that's got to be a class-based thing too because, I mean, there's, there's, and that's something else that I think that there's, like speaking of, of, of um, you know, borders between, mm-hmm. like, the, because Peter is, and Claire are understood to be upper class. And yes. Silk is not. And, and like when he goes in for that promotion, you kind of sense that there's a, there's a certain class differentiation there that like there's this this old boys club that Howard just doesn't belong to, you know. I mean, he's well, and, he's not and, a part of that world. And Pope definitely has a, like a much even plummier accent. Yeah. I mean, his accent is extremely plummy. Yep. Like um, they do a lot with accents. I thought with this, if you really had these two worlds that started in the same place, I really don't think they would diverge that much. Pandemic or no, people are still people. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm our, counterpoint. Counterpart. Counterpart. Boy. Uh, you know, the, this has been under the auspices of a spy agency and since the beginning. And they everything looks like a nail when you're a hammer. Like, right. they're going to act that way because that's the way they're going to act. It's going to be an antagonistic relationship just by the very virtue of who found it. Yeah. If it had been a bunch of hippies on the Rainbow Warrior, it maybe would have been a different situation. <laughs> that's yeah. not the situation we're in. No, that's true. I just think it's funny that when diplomacy has a bargaining chip, what they ask for is things like census data from 1950s well, or, census or, like, is very or important. 1990s. Give you a story about how it's. You know. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, I, I think it's funny because what they really want is data to compare and contrast against against their world to see, you know, to try and divine some greater patterns. Yeah. Because yeah. you have now two sample sets, and ultimately that would be amazing if they could just get their heads out of their asses. Yeah. They could do so much really but cool they, science they, because they have exact. Duplicates of everybody. But Can you imagine that, what you could do with that kind of control on, set? Like, fucking everything, though, would be like if they could only get their heads out of their asses, <laughs> then. Well, yeah, this series is not about getting your head out of your ass. No, it's about putting other people's heads into their asses. And... <laughs> oh god, that got gross and horrible. Oh, sorry. Anyway, so I think we should wrap this up. Yeah, I think that it's possible I may rewatch this series. I mean, not that series are all about rewatchability, but like it was, it was really well done. And J.K. Simmons is just, just phenomenal. phenomenal. He's the best 
like He's I, so good. I mean, he is just so good at this. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely. Well, I mean, whether I rewatch it or not, I am totally on the fucking hook for a second season. Yeah, I mean, this is really their game to lose because obviously, you know, the two Howard Silks are going to become more like each other, so that's going to be hard for him mm-hmm. to keep. You know what I mean? I mean, it's I'm, I'm going to predict that they're going to get more and more nuanced. They're going to keep know? exploring these these themes about liminal spaces and yeah. and like yep. and and. Um, personality yep. and how you know psychologically we are made up by our experiences yep. as well as you know this sort of inborn but personality. it was yeah it was definitely fun because i feel like um you know as a series it allowed it to get into its like university worsy stuff a lot more hardcore than mm-hmm. than the movies we've been watching, which really don't well, it like... allowed them to like pull in other characters that you could see the similar circumstances, like like Baldwin and Claire, right. how they're they're you know both sort of dealing with the same issues in different ways. Um, but yeah, it was great. I super loved it. I'm gonna totally watch the shit out of the second season. High five. High five.